It is a great joy for me to be back behind this sacred desk one more time. I thank God certainly for his word and for what he is revealing to us through our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church and the other surrounding churches. I think over the past few weeks we have seen the beautiful reality of our having been chosen by God. And then last week we saw the beautiful revelation that that scripture tells us that we have been redeemed because of the saving work of Christ on the cross. And what a wonderful inheritance we have been gifted because of our redemption. In fact, to put it lightly, we have been given absolutely everything in Jesus Christ. And at the crux of what we have been given, we have been provided hope. We have been provided reasons to hope. Listen, when we were alienated from God, broken in fellowship with him, we were without hope. There was nothing eternally to which we could look that we could grasp a hold of, by which we could want for, by which we could hope for, by which we could desire for. We were all listlessly skating through the course of life, groping at tomorrow, but reluctantly forsaking what we saw on yesterday. I think all of us in this room can in fact testify that at one time or another, we were all hopeless. We were all without hope. And the reason we were hopeless is because we were dead in our sins. There was nothing we could hope for. See, we were hopeless. Life itself brought us no fulfillment. And all we could look forward to was the gratification of our flesh, which only lasted for the moment that the pleasure lasted. I think all of us can remember that when we were apart from him, but we knew better. The gratification our flesh would bring would also bring a strong amount of conviction because we knew we were at odds with God. And what happened is, is we wallowed in that cycle of sin and depression because we were without hope. That's who we were. That is not who we are now as Christians. And if you are a Christian in this room today, and it's understandable if this is the case, and you have struggled with your hope, you have struggled with your desire to live, if you've struggled to see the beautiful resurrection of Jesus Christ as our hope, then I want you to especially hear this sermon today. Because what we will see in Scripture is that God, through his biblical text, has provided us so many reasons to hope and to keep hope alive. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. It reads, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation 
in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what, it, what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places? For far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank God for the reading of his word. Paul starts verse 15 just where we left off two weeks ago by continuing his thought. Remember, he left off in verse 14 by declaring that the guarantee of our inheritance is in Christ, which has been sealed in us by the Holy Spirit. That is one of our reasons for hope that we have an inheritance which is in heaven with him. Waiting on us. That leads us into the ver- this verse by which Paul says, for this reason, and then we see him again go into one of his marathon sentences, and it is a beautiful one. He says, because of the faith that he has heard of at the church of Ephesus by the believers there, he gave thanks for them and he prayed for them. I think this is the most clear and appropriate place for us to give our first of four reasons to hope today. Number one is hope in others. Hope in others. Now, I realize in 2019, it is borderline taboo for me to imply that our hope in Christ is somehow tied into what others are doing. But that is exactly what Paul is communicating here. He knows that we all who believe have an inheritance, but what keeps his hope while he earnestly awaits the acquisition of that inheritance is that he hears of the faith and love that they have been demonstrating at the church at Ephesus. Yes, Paul uses greeting quite often in his letters, but I don't think that lessens the impact of it. In fact, I think it only enhances exactly what he was saying. Listen to what he says in Philemon 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul says that after hearing of the faithfulness of his faithful brother Philemon in Christ, it brought him comfort. And it brought him joy. That means that the faithful work of his brother in Christ encouraged him to go forward. Now it is important for you to realize that if anybody needed encouragement in life at this time, it would have been Paul. Listen, Paul had been beaten. Paul had been stoned. Paul had been ridiculed. Paul had been placed in prison. Yet it was because of the work that they were doing in Christ that it encouraged Paul to live. It encouraged Paul in the awaiting and blessed hope that he had coming, that he saw other faithful Christians were working and sacrificing just as he had done. 
Listen, many of us have been fed by the culture that we can't be dependent on others for our comfort or our hope or our joy. But as Christians, it should strengthen us when others are working and fervently and faithfully serving God. Listen, in as much as we complain about the lostness of the world and what the world is doing, what we should also do is give thanks to those around us who are doing the same work that we are doing as well. It should bring us great joy and love and comfort when we know that we are not in this fight alone, but there are other faithful Christians who are standing on the front line declaring, for God I live and for God I'll die. What a great joy it should arise in us because what we should see in the other members of the body of Christ is our little glimpse of heaven. All right. And I don't believe in heaven on earth, but sometimes we can see a glimpse of it. See, when we get to heaven, we we are going to be removed from the effects and the evil sin in this world. And all we will see are those faithful believers that serve God while we serve him down here. And so what we are doing is having a little pre-family reunion until we get there. Well, we can love and celebrate and praise and worship. And our hope is increased because we see other people are in the same fight that we are in. See, that is why we as Christians have hope in others. Listen, Paul says that the love that was extended towards the other members of the body of Christ promoted him to be thankful and it promoted him to be prayerful. Why are we thankful? We are thankful because of the faithful Christians are loving and serving the same way that we are. See, I want you to be able to see this chain of command. Thankfulness is a command because God knows that the more thankful we are, inevitably the more grateful we are. The more grateful we are, the more content we will be. See, scripture tells us that Christ in us is the hope of glory. If Christ in us is the hope of glory, doesn't it stand to reason that Christ in more of us is more hope for us? If Christ in me gives me hope, then that means if I see Christ in you and Christ in you and Christ in you, then that means I don't hope in just the Christ in me, but I can see the Christ in you as well. And when I see the Christ in you, the Christ in me will raise up and say, hey, how you doing, Christ? Because the Bible tells us that the spirit bears witness with our spirit. That means I can identify another spirit of Christ because it's the same spirit. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And I hope it lives in you as well. Which means the same spirit that raised him from the dead is the same spirit that can raise my hope. It is the same spirit that can restore my joy. That is the Christ that we are talking about today. See, listen. He said not only does it motivate us to be thankful for other faithful Christians, but it motivates us to pray for other faithful Christians. And I don't know that anything is more of an expected practice of faithful Christians toward other Christians than prayer. 
Listen, we should be constantly praying for one another. Let me ask this. If you are a Christian in this room who is struggling to find any reason to hope in the losses of this world, are you actively seeking for reasons to thank God for faithful Christians around you? Are you only seeing the emptiness and lostness of the world, but failing to see the faithfulness of the Christians who are standing on the front line right next to you? Listen to what Charles Spurgeon wrote in one of his commentaries on Ephesians, and I think it's beautiful. He said, I knew one man of God who has kept a debtor and creditor list with God for many years. He puts his request down in the book, and when they are answered, he writes that down. If they are not answered, he repeats them. It is a wonderful book. I think that he told me that there is a name down there of a person for whom has been prayed and that he is not yet converted. Out of several for whom he began to pray, he is the only one who is not converted and he is the only one that is left alive. The others were brought to Christ and died in the faith and he, not yet brought to Christ, still lives. He prays on with a great confidence of the conversion of that man as I have that Christmas will come in due time. I wish that we did business with God in some such fashion as that, but our prayers are shadowy, unreal. God, teach us how to pray. God, teach us how to pray. But specifically, when I see other Christians who may be joyful, who may be depressed, who may be struggling, who may be prevailing, God, remind me to pray for them and thank you for them. That brings us for to reason to hope number two. And that's hope and understanding. That is hope and understanding. Many people may wonder just how exactly Understanding should bring us hope, but allow me to flesh this out briefly. What we know about God is what should bring us peace about God. It should bring us contentment and joy because we know who God is. We understand his nature and we know that what that means for our futures. One of the most unfortunate trends in what is named Christianity today is that many of us have no clue why we believe what it is we believe. We have no solid foundation other than we have just been told that God is real and Jesus is true. But we have no deep understanding on who God actually is. Sermons have been relegated and wasted talking about good feelings, softball pitches, and clever stories. But we are not taking the time to make sure people actually understand what it is they believe. Listen, the more you understand about something is directly correlated to how much you trust and hope in it. The more you understand about it, the more you're willing to trust it. The less you actually understand about it, the more likely it is people will be able to poke holes in your belief. See, you know that scripture backs that up. Look at what 1 Peter says. 
First Peter three fourteen. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You see here how important it is to understand just exactly who God is, what we believe and what it means for us eternally. Peter says that when we are troubled, we don't have fear because we know enough about God to intellectually articulate our hope. See, when we are struggling, when we are persecuted, I know enough about him. See, we have hope because we know all about God, who God is, his son, and his spirit. That is why we hope. There is nothing that can cause us to waver or fade in that because, as some people would say it, I just know too much about him. And because I know so much about him, there is nothing that anyone can do to convince me otherwise. I know too much about him and you can't make me doubt him. That's what happens. Many people regularly, and I mean regularly, come to me and tell me that they are questioning their faith, what they believe. And one of the, the common issues that I see in people like this is that they just do not have enough information about who God really is. See, unfortunately, we have been force fed all of these false truths about God. And so what we think we know about God ends up not being our reality. And we realize that we are akin to the man who built his house on the sand. As opposed to man, the man who built his house on the rock. What was that rock? That rock was that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who has come to take away our sins. Anything else, our faith is built up on anticipated hope, false understandings of blessings, false understandings of the giftings of the Spirit will cause us to utterly fail. And it will depress us. See, God is much more than our cheap, on-demand, shallow view of who he is. The God that, ever, that answers every prayer the way that I desire him. The God who only wants good things to happen in my life. Tell Paul about those good things God wants to happen in your life. Why don't you tell James about those good things God wants to happen in your life? Why don't you tell Peter about all those good things God wants to happen in your life? Why don't you tell everybody else about the wonderful plan that God has for you? What was the wonderful plan that God had for his son for him to go to a cross? What was the wonderful plan that God had for Peter for him to be crucified? What was the wonderful plan that God had for Paul? He took his head off. What was the wonderful plan for John the Baptist? His head was taken off as well. See, our wonderful plan in God is not about what is happening here. It is about the riches in heaven by which he is storing up for us. We don't have any hope here unless we plan on staying here. So our hope must be in eternity. And we must understand who God is. 
See, look again what, what he says. That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Do you see that? He says that when God gives us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, then the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. Now that is a strange term. That is a strange term. The eyes of our hearts. Well, let's let's see what Paul is talking about here. Anytime we hear the word heart mentioned in the New Testament, it is always a reference to one's spiritual state. It is always a reference to the core of who a person is. That's why Jesus said it's not what goes in, but it's what comes out. Because out of the heart flow the issues of life. Who you are is where your heart is. You are everything your heart says about you. The heart always represents that condition of us. So we know that Paul here is talking more than just a natural understanding of who God is. Because in Romans, he tells us what can be intellectually known about God is made plain and is made clear to all who live. Which means we all know that there is a God. Even atheists know that there is a God. See, the funny thing is is that atheists say God doesn't exist, but God says atheists don't exist. Because what can be known about God is made plain to them intellectually. Yet they, when they knew God, does not know him in their hearts, when they knew him in their heads and not in their hearts, they would not worship him as God. All right. See, how does man believe? Not with the head. The Bible tells us with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made. You can't make a confession without your heart believing. That is where our understanding should lie in our hearts. See, many of us think just because we can reason about God that that means we believe in God. But this is far more than what you understand intellectually. Has God taken hold of your heart? Does when you do when you look at scripture, you believe that not when you're with your head, but with your heart, because I'll make this argument to you. If you're trying to fathom God merely through your head, then you can't believe the first book of the Bible. You can't even get the first line right because it says, in the beginning, God. If you're trying to reason that in your head, good luck. It must be in your heart. See... What we all have is a knowledge that God exists. But as Christians living a, a life sanctified by the Holy Spirit, we have been brought into the spiritual revelation of truth. That is our reason for hope. That is our understanding. We don't just know him intellectually, but he has jettisoned himself into our hearts. So when if someone asks why I have hope, allow me to introduce who God is to me. And that brings us to our third reason to hope. Our third reason to hope is simply, we hope in hope. We hope in hope. What he says, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Yeah, I understand saying hope in hope may sound a little crazy, but it's not. We have been promised and given a blessed and living hope through our salvation and redemption. And we all are earnestly anticipating the full revelation of that hope. By acquiring the spiritual acumen required of us to know him, we stand in the position to receive all the spiritual insight that furthers our hope. And let's just be realistic. There are some days that our hope in others will fail. There are some days when those faithful Christians we have been thankful for, those faithful Christians we have prayed for, are not going to represent that Christianity well in our lives. Listen, there are going to be days that our spiritual understanding is just not going to be as clear and we are not going to be able to fathom what God is doing and why God is doing it. There are some times that the pain that we may be anticipating or going through will cloud our vision of what scripture says about God. But I'm here to tell you that in those days, all we have is the hope we have in our hope. Which means if God has promised us eternity, there are days I can't look to you and rely on it. There are days when I can't look to scripture, but what he said is what he said. And there are some days that I, the only leg I have to stand on is the hope in Christ, which lives in me. See, the hymn says it better than I can. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Watch this. When darkness hides his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds. Within the veil, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. If that doesn't get you excited about our hope in God, I don't know what else can, because there are days when my hope will only be built on Jesus blood and Jesus righteousness and I have a hope that one day he is going to pluck me from this sinful and evil world and I will stand before him just like him faultless because he has made me that way that is my great hope is that one day the God that I have preached about, the God that I've taught about, will fully reveal himself to me. Not clothed in flesh, but I will put on a garment of righteousness that he has provided for me. There are some days when that's all I have to look forward to. When death is around me, when loss is around me, when hurt is around me, one day it will all make sense to me. So if I have to go through a little bit down here, 
so that I can spend forever up there. I am willing to go through all the hell I can down here so that I can have heaven up there. That is what my hope is in. And that brings us to our final point today. We have hope in God's supremacy. We have hope in the supremacy of God. Listen, if we have hope in all these other areas, if we have hope in others, if we have hope in understanding, and if we have hope in hope, that is all made possible only by the supreme ruler of the universe, and that is God. Let's look again at what Paul says. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and above power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God in his supremacy and power raised Christ from the dead. But not only that, he placed him at the right hand of the father. That same power is in all of us who believe. Paul knows this and he prays not for that power. But that we would see how great and powerful the God that lives in us is working in us. That's why we sing songs like, how great is our God? How great is our God? He has placed Christ as supreme ruler over everything. And he has made everything subject to him. Everything is subject to him. We stand in awe of him. And we are amazed that the power that he has given him to raise himself from the dead, he has placed in all of us. That power is working in us, through us, and is working for us. That is why we sing songs like, he is our strength. But when we are weak and beaten, and cast down in despair. Here's our energy. Here's our hope. Last scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Listen, we are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. Struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. 
so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You see, this power is not ours, but God has given it to us. He has placed it in these fragile, broken, chipped, imperfect, misshapen jars of clay. And holding to that, yes, we may be afflicted, but we are not crushed. We may be perplexed and confused, but we are not driven into despair or depression, persecuted. But he has not left us alone, struck down, but he has not allowed us to be destroyed. That is the power that is in us, the supremacy of God, and he has put all things under his feet. Why do we hope? Because Christ in us is the hope of glory. The power of God is working in us through Christ. Yes. Sometimes your days get monotonous. Sometimes it feels like you are losing more than you're gaining. Some days it feels like you can never get ahead. When the money gets right, the family gets wrong. I feel like there's never any balance. Let me encourage you. Balance will come in eternity. And what keeps us going, what keeps us motivated, is that this isn't it for us. This is not it for us. And so, I can look to others when my hope may fail and see them diligently working in Christ. And the spirit that's in them motivates the spirit in me to fight another day. I can hope that I know exactly who God is. Because he has told me everything I need to know about him. That he has promised me he will not leave me comfortless. That he has given me a helper that lives inside of me. And in those days, those difficult days, I know eternity is coming. And I can hope in that eternity. And finally, I know just how big God is. And that if he raised his son from the dead, nothing that I'm going through is bigger than him, nor is it above him. I trust him, and I trust in his word. He that performed, he that began a good work in you, is faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ.